0: Antonio Vicente was one of 14 children. He grew up um, on a farm in Sao Paulo, in Brazil, where he watched his father cut down trees at the owner's order in order to clear land for grazing cattle and to create charcoal. And this area was absolutely stripped. And eventually, because it was so stripped, there was nothing left, the water springs dried up and they never returned. So in 1976, in the mountains with some donkeys and a small team, Vicente started regenerating the area. He started planting trees, and in spite of his neighbors telling him that he was crazy, that trees are a waste of land space, there's far more lucrative ways of using land he persevered and more than 40 years later, now 84, 84, Vicente estimates that he has replanted 50,000 trees on his 31 hectare property. In between August 2015 and July 2016, an area that is 135 times the size of Manhattan was absolutely wiped out. None of the trees left. It was cleared for other land usage, um, mainly for beef farming. So one year, an area 135 times the size of Manhattan was cleared. Um, In the state of Sao Paulo, where Vicente lives... Uh, forest originally covered 69% of the area, now only 14% of the area is covered in trees. And uh, when he was asked by a reporter from The Guardian, Vicente said this, If you ask me who my family are, I would say all of this right here. Each one of these that I have planted from a seed on his land, where there, w- where there was no water, there were no streams, there are now eight waterfalls against this, this, this backdrop of this lush, green, Atlantic forest um, scene. And speaking of this project in the mountains, uh, he said this, I didn't do it for money, I did it because when I die, what's here will remain for everyone. And then he said this, people don't call me crazy anymore. And so uh, reports Sam Cowell for the Guardian newspaper in 2017. Let's turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And what we will find out as you're turning there in this passage today is that Jesus is going to talk about yeah, the kingdom of God, what it's like. And it's a phrase which we use a lot in church, right? You know, we talk about God's kingdom. May your kingdom come and your will, may your will be done. That's in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we sing it and we pray it and we talk about it. But how do you really define what the kingdom of God is? If someone came up to you and said, what is the kingdom of God? How would you, how would you put that into a sentence? Well, this is how a guy called... Or some men called Martin Manser and Alistair McGrath have defined uh, uh, the kingdom of God. And Enya, if we can have that up on the screen, it says that the kingdom of God comes into being wherever the kingly authority of God is acknowledged. Let's say that all together. Ready? The kingdom of God comes into being whenever the kingly authority of God is acknowledged. And this is what we've been finding out as we've been walking through the book of Mark. In the person of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom of God has finally come. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and now, in the person of Christ, it is uh, here. In Mark chapter one, verse two, we see that both both the prophet Isaiah and the prophet John were 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 waiting for, for, for this King. The, um, they said, "Prepare the the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him." And then John went on to say, "This after me comes one who's more." more powerful than I, okay? So, it's the return of the king. They were waiting for the king to return, and then in two verses later, um, in verse 9, we see what this more powerful one, what this king of the kingdom looks like, and in chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John there in the Jordan River. And it's at this moment that we see Jesus being, being identified and set apart as the king of the kingdom. He's set apart through, through baptism and he's, he's identified by the Father through an audible voice from heaven and by the Spirit in the form of a dove that comes and lands on him. And then Satan also names him as the king of kings when he tempts him for 40 days there in the desert. And after that... After the temptation in the desert, when he's faced off against Satan, and Satan has realized that he is, he is the king of kings, um, uh, this is what Jesus says of himself in, in verse 14 of chapter 1, actually verse 15. It says this, The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So these, uh, this is Jesus' words of himself. He, recognize, he, recognizes, he recognizes himself himself. As the king of the kingdom. The the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And what D.A. Carson, who's a theologian, what he says of this verse, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says that this is an awakening cry of sensational and universal significance. So what Jesus says here is really important. Now, from chapter 1 through chapter 4, where we are now, we've seen Jesus, uh, who's this king, this servant king, establishing his reign. He's been showing people what kind of a king he is and what kind of a kingdom he's establishing. He's healed people. He's freed people from, um, from Satan's thrall. He's cast out spirits. He's preached truth. He's shown over and over again that he is the servant king. And so the question is, for us, what does it require for us to enter into the kingdom of God, to enter into the kingdom of heaven? What is the citizenship exam? Next year, I will be doing my citizenship exam, hopefully, so I I can become a a bona fide maple leaf wearing, maple syrup drinking, Tim Hortons downing Canadian, which I'm not yet, but I'm on my way there. Uh, But, but. And when I have this exam, I'll have to sit down and answer a bunch of questions, which means I'll probably know more about your country than you do, but... Uh But what is in the citizenship exam for the kingdom of heaven? Well, it requires two things. It requires repentance and it requires faith. Those are the two things turning from the old kingdom, from the kingdom of darkness and sin, and trusting Jesus that he will rescue you. And we heard about that, right? That he's there to plunder the house of the strong man and to rescue people, repentance and faith. And so as Jesus is walking around. He understands that people are going to misunderstand what his kingdom is all about, which is why he tries to keep away from the crowds and he tries not to to really pander to them because what he doesn't want is for them to make him a king in their own image rather than understanding him as the king that he truly is. Uh, they will misinterpret him. Um, and, And we've seen that as king of this kingdom, a servant king of this kingdom, Jesus has shown that it's his right to interpret what's in the Ten Commandments. So he says that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, Right, because he came up with the Ten Commandments in the first place. It was in like he he wrote them down. Him and the Father and the Spirit. It was their idea, and so it's so now that he's on earth, he's interpreting them. Uh, He also shows that he welcomes all of the you know all of the tax collectors and the sinners, but he rejects the self righteousness of the of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He shows them over and over over again that his authority outranks their human authority. And because of this, they've started murmuring against him. They've started complaining against him. They don't like him. And it's these murmurings which are happening now, which you've seen over the past couple of chapters, that will ultimately result in, in the death of the servant king. So after after saying that the kingdom has come, after showing through miracles what this kingdom's priorities are, Jesus now takes um, time to preach a number of short sermons to explain what the kingdom of God looks like. And the fact that Jesus takes a number of stories to explain what the kingdom of God looks like means that it, that the kingdom of God it doesn't really fit into a sentence, even though we do have a sentence there, that that really in its fullness, we aren't able to sum up this kingdom of God in a nice little phrase. And so he has a number of stories where he says that the kingdom of God is like and the kingdom of God is like. And he explains it over and over again. Last week we heard that that it's like a sower planting seeds in different types of soil. And this week we will find out that the kingdom of God is like a seed that grows in the background quietly. We will also find out that 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 at the start it looks small, it looks insignificant. But at the end it's going to look absolutely massive and impressive. And every one of us will say, wow, the kingdom of God is amazing. And so this, this, this language, this, this picture language of growth and harvest, um, you know, which is all about growth, right? It's all about things going from the ground and growing up. So this language which is used um, shows us that even though the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ it's still growing it's still not there in its in its fullness Uh, it's still growing it's still bearing fruit but time and history will move us towards that one moment as we read in chapter verse 29 of chapter 4 when the sickle is actually put and used and the grain is harvested at that moment time will end eternity will start and we will experience God's kingdom in its fullness. Now I said last week, if, if you were here and if you remember or if you heard online, I said that last week that when Jesus told parables, he was testing people's hearts. In essence, as he tells parables, what he's asking them is this. He's saying, how hungry are you? How much, How much do you really want this? And for Many of the people, all that they hear is a nice story about agriculture and farming, nothing more. And and what I said last week is that that for those people, um, that these stories are like a stone in the ground. It's a rock, it's big, and they have to walk around it. You know, it's in their way, but they work out how to walk around it and then they carry on their way. But for the few What that story is like is it's like a rock in the ground that rather than walking around it, they heft it up and they lift it up and they move it and underneath, what do they find? They find treasure and more and more and more treasure. So today, I'd like to give you a forecast and if we can have the the next slide in. And the next one. Awesome. Okay, so last week we we uh, we learned this, that as we read the Bible, God used it to break up the soil of our fearful and our divided hearts so that we can be part of his ongoing harvest. That's what we learned last week. And this week we have a forecast, Enya, which is, okay, let's read this all together. Ready? Slowly, but oh so surely, the kingdom of the servant king is growing. It's going to be a bumper harvest. And it's actually neat because as I came into church this morning, I saw Casey and he said, I, have, I had beans for you, but I actually gave them away to someone else. But he said that that it's been such a bumper harvest of beans that I think from one stalk he had, what was the number of beans which you had? 42. Okay, so that So they know what a bumper harvest looks like and we will be finding out what a bumper harvest looks like here. 42 beans on one stalk. Let's turn to um, Mark chapter 4 verse 21 that says this. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and... Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. This is the second time that he said that, right? If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Then he says this, consider carefully what you hear. He continued, with the measure you use to listen, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they have will will be taken from them. Now, at first glance, this, this, this flow of Mark 4 is rather confusing because Jesus starts off by talking about seeds and soil, which we talked about last week. Then he seems to get confused. He switches metaphor and starts hopping on about a lamp and bowls and beds. Then it, he remembers what he was talking about originally, gets back on track and starts talking more about soil and seeds and sowers. It's, lamp, it's seeds, then lamp, then seeds, and then seeds. But... What I'd like us to view this lamp bit like now is viewing it as if we're driving along a long journey on a highway and we have a rest stop, and then there's more highway, and then there's more highway afterwards. So we got highway, we got rest stop, we got highway, and then we got highway. Uh, So it's this rest stop that enables you you know, you know, to really carry on with that journey on the highway. Uh, it's an aside, it's a pause, it's a place to clear your head before jumping back in the car and turning on the tunes. So this lamp bit is a rest stop, it's a pause, it's a chance for us to get some clarity. And so in simple terms, what Jesus is saying in this lamp part of the section, is, uh, by, by using this lamp as a metaphor, is that he's saying that the purpose of a lamp is what? To shine, illuminate, Light up, right? And so you don't buy a nice accent lamp from IKEA and stick it in your linen closet, right? That's that's not what we do. Instead, what we do is we buy a nice accent lamp from IKEA and we stick it in our living room where it shines. And so the whole purpose of parables, what Jesus is saying, the whole purpose of purpose of parables is that they shine, is that they light up, is that they illuminate. And so for those on the inside, and and that's the language which Christ uses, for those on the inside, these parables light up everything, because the goal of the parable is for us to say, okay, now I understand. But for those on the outside, they look at the parable and they say, I don't really get it, I'm not sure what that means, and and then for those on the outside, they don't pay it any more mind. They just, you know, they just fetch that lamp and they stick it under a bed or a bowl or they stick it in their linen closet. But it's not Jesus' fault if they don't understand it. That's my point. It's because of the nature of their heart, as we heard last week. What is your soil like? What is the nature of your heart like? Now, James R. Edwards helps us understand how something can be illuminating to one group of people and obscuring to another group of people? How can, how can something be lighting up something for one group of people and making things confusing and dark and obscure f- for another group of people at the same time? How can that work? He explains it like this. He said that he says that the parable of the sower is like the cloud that separated the fleeing Israelites from the Egyptians who were chasing them, as we read in the book of Exodus. It, it says in Exodus fourteen verse twenty that it brings it, it 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 brings darkness onto the one side and it brings light onto the other side. So it's this cloud. Um, and then he says this that that which was blindness to Egypt was revelation to to the children of of Israel, that that the same event, that one event was either a vehicle of light or of darkness, really depending on one's stance with the Lord. And as we heard last week, that the way to access the enlightening nature of the parables is to become a follower of Jesus, is to press into him, is to ask him, what does this mean? You see, it was Jesus who said to those four fishermen back in Mark chapter 1, I think it was, he said, what? Come, follow me. And as they followed him, they walked into this inner circle of illumination where Jesus, the, the servant king, would explain to them the secrets of the kingdom. They walked up the mountain after him, leaving all of the crowds on the shore of the lake. And the same offer, which is really exciting, is here for you and for me, which is why Jesus says in verse 22, he says, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. You see, Jesus wants people to understand what the kingdom is all about. It's, it's meant to be brought out into the open. This is the purpose of the lamp shining, but verse 23 says That it's only for those who have ears who are willing to hear. Okay, that's how you know whether you're in the inner circle or you're in the outer circle. Do you have ears that are willing to hear? Or as someone else translates it, let those who have ears use them and listen. And then in verse 24, Jesus goes on and he says this, Who... um, he says, consider carefully what you hear. So it's not enough only to hear. You must use your mental faculties. You must love the Lord with your mind. And it's using your mental faculties, trying to understand that Jesus invites you into a deeper relationship with him. And it's, 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 it's then that we bring this lamp of illumination into the living room of our hearts. And we understand. Now, I have uh, both a Facebook and an Instagram account. I've had a Facebook account for years, and just last year, I figured out that it's probably a good thing for me to be on Instagram, and it is, but what I've realized about Instagram and also Facebook is they love filling your screen with 30-second videos. Right, it's these short things, and they catch you, and they're funny, and they're muted at the beginning. Then you unmute them, and you can really engage with them. It's a bit like um, you know eating those maybe two bite brownies. Right, they're easy, and you throw them in, and it tastes good going down. And even before you realise it, you have another one in your hand that's on the way to your mouth. And it tastes so good. And these short viral videos also taste really good. But what I've realized is that these social media platforms are sneaky. Because what they do is it's not enough to watch one. They automatically play the next one after it. And what started off as one video maybe lasting 60 seconds suddenly turns into an hour of of gormlessly watching one video After another, a prank video, followed by a parkour video, followed by a shark attack video, followed by a touching ode to father's video, followed by a dancing alongside a rolling car video, uh, followed by a makeup tip video, and then an origami video, a weightlifting video, a stand-up comedian video, and on and on it goes. And I've done this. I've been sucked into the vortex of this. And as I'm staring at this screen like a zombie, somewhere in the recesses of my brain, I'm thinking, hey, I should show the girls this movie because it's funny and they would love it. And then I'd say, oh, Wendy would love this one about gardening. It's great. Uh, You know, it's a time-lapse flower opening. It's really impressive. And, but, but then I'm sucked back in and it's like, must keep watching, must keep watching. and So I keep watching and eventually willpower and reality manages to creep in and I, and I manage to get enough um, self-control to kind of grab my face and steer it away from the screen and then the lock is broken and I'm into reality. But once I'm back into reality, I think, oh, that video that I wanted to show Wendy, what was it? I can't remember. And that one that I wanted to show the girls, that was so funny and I thought they would love it, but I can't remember. Now the question is, why can't I remember? Why was that whole hour like a haze, like a like a blank? Why do I have no memory of what happened? Because I wasn't considering carefully what I was watching. I was just there, I was zoned out, and uh, I wasn't, I was... I I was distracted by it, but I wasn't engaged with it. I wasn't considering carefully. And so when Jesus says to us, consider carefully what I'm saying, he's saying engage your brain. He's saying put your thinking cap on. He's saying don't stare at the screen like a zombie. And then verse, verse, verse 24 says this, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they do have, will be taken away from them. And here's the beauty of the parable. Here's the beauty of gazing into the depths of Christ's teaching. If you use it, you won't lose it. And I can say that absolutely true in my life. I've never been to seminary, though I wish I had. But in my years of studies, as I dig and I learn and I explore and I dig and I learn and I explore, um, the more I find those rocks and I fling them over, the more I find treasure underneath and... And it's, and it's exciting, because when I find that treasure, I want to find more. You know, it's the gold rush. And so I keep on searching and searching, and this process feeds itself over and over again. But I've also met people, even Christians, who find the Bible boring and hard to understand, and so they stop. And so for these people, even what they have will be taken away from them. They, 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 they find it boring or maybe difficult, and so they lose, they, they, they lose interest. They say that the Bible is boring and the kingdom is boring, and that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like I said, that rock is in their way, and they learn to ignore it, missing all of the depths of treasure that's hidden there underneath. Now, Wendy loves to garden, and she's excellent at it. She's amazing and she's creative. She goes on to Pinterest and finds out ideas. She watches gardeners, gardening shows. She's part, part of forums. She gets out in the garden and she plants and, and, and she goes to nurseries with her dad and just has a great time. She feeds her passion. And so the passion grows. But me, I've never got past the stage of liking the idea of being a competent gardener. And I've never got past the stage of liking the idea of being a competent cook. Even though I see all of the benefit that it brings to Wendy's life and through her life, you know, to the rest of the family, you know, through her cooking and her gardening, um, even though I see that, I've never got past that stage of thinking, yeah, it would be nice. Because the fact of the matter is that I'm not willing to do what it takes to grow my passion. And so I remain a non-starter, and I will remain a non-starter for the rest of my life, a non-gardener and a non-cook with nice intentions. And that flash of interest which I had initially, in fact, I still remember saying to Wendy, you know what? I'd love to learn how to cook from you. Uh, Show me how to do it. Simple meals at the beginning. It's going to be great. Have I ever done that? No. And so that flash of interest that I had at the beginning, I could do eggs and sausage and noodles but but that flash of interest that I had at the beginning has now waned away to absolutely nothing but for Wendy, this passion for creating amazing food and for creating a garden of complexity and beauty grows and grows and grows. Because the measure that she's used, it will be measured to her and even more, as we read here. And so the same is with the word of the Lord. So speaking of the word of the Lord, let's turn to verse 26. Verse 26. That says this, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he gets up, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now, in the parable of the soils, we were given a warning—a warning which which uh, which showed us what it's like to have a heart that's closed, so that the word of God's not able to get in. It to to have a heart that 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 has rocks that has no no real depth, you know. And so, the word of God's not able to to send down roots, or a heart that's that's overrun with 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 worries um, or or with the things of this world. This is a warning. It causes us to look at the nature of our own heart and say, what is my heart like? But here, we don't have a warning. Here, we have an encouragement. We see what the sovereignty of God looks like. And what Jesus is saying here, and this is exciting, is that the kingdom of God is going to grow. In the darkness and the secrecy of your and my regular life, that the kingdom of God will grow. We can sleep, we can wake up, we can we can give it a lot of tension or not, and the kingdom of God will grow. And there's nothing that can hinder it. It's fulfillment. This kingdom of God, its fulfillment is promised and it's assured. It's absolute. It will not fail. Martin Luther King, uh, he really captured what this looks like when you have the hope of tomorrow. And the reality of now, he said this, I come to you this afternoon, however difficult, and I'm sorry for my accent, I can't do it, but, uh, you know, this is the white Welsh version of Martin Luther King Jr., which is pretty rubbish, but, so, hear me, but pretend you're listening to him, okay? So, he said this, I came to you this afternoon, no, he said, I come to say to you this afternoon, However difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth crushed to earth will rise again. And this is the sense that we get here in the parable. It's the courage, it's the call to have courage and to stick with it because God says that he's going to bring his work to fruition. Yes, yes, it might look like the farmer is haphazardly flinging uh, seed on the ground, but the word, once it settles, it is doing, it will do what it's supposed to. That seed will come to harvest. And, and, and why is this? The reason is because the seed has contained in it all that it needs for growth. There is a small embryonic plant inside that seed. There is food for that small embryonic seed that's in that seed and there's also this hard seed shell. So it has everything that, it's need, that, that it needs. It's self-contained. All the potential is there. The tree is contained in the seed. The seed is the tree in fetal form. And we we see this in Isaiah 55 where the prophet um, explains what this Mystery looks like in uh, Isaiah 55 verse 10. He says this, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and they do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So, this seed which is planted in us, this word of God, it will transform, it will achieve its purpose, we just have to let it. And so as we look out at society and humanity, and as we look at, at culture and this bent towards sin, it's easy to lose hope. And as we look at the sin in our own hearts, and we wonder whether anything will change And as we look at our families and we long for them to experience saving knowledge of Christ, as we look at our community and say, Lord, I wish that you would move here, that that we wish that they would know this joy of an unhindered relationship with God. As we do all this, Isaiah 55 and this parable reminds us that God's word, his seed is being planted and it is rooted. And even as we listen here, here to this sermon, that his word is working its way into the depths of our hearts and we are part of this crop that will one day be harvested. And so this, this parable is a call to renewed hope and from this renewed hope comes a renewed prayer saying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First the stalker, then the head, then the full kernel. In the head. We, we don't get spiritually mature all at once. It takes time. First the stalk, then the head, and then the kernel in the head. Then we're ready to reproduce. Uh, first we know Jesus, and then we grow in Jesus, and then we show Jesus to others. That's what we're all about as a church. One day, this what this parable is saying to us is that one day we, we will say to God, not let your will be done and let your, let your kingdom come. What we will say is, thank you that your kingdom has come in its fullness. Thank you that your will has been done on earth as it is in heaven. Because slowly but surely, the kingdom of the servant king is growing. So, so far, Jesus has reminded us that we need to let the word of God shine in our hearts. We need to open the Bible and let its light shine on. On our lives. We can't hide it under a bowl or a bed. We must let it do what it does naturally. Which is shine. And secondly we've also been encouraged. That God's kingdom is growing. In spite of our humanness. And our lack of attention. In spite of us not really understanding. How it works. All by itself the kingdom of god is growing it's transforming lives and it's transforming many communities around the world in peoples uh, in people groups and cultures that we've never even heard of this is what is happening and in our own lives that the kingdom of god is growing and lastly we are given a glimpse into how enormous how humongous how massive god's kingdom is going to be at the end verse 30 Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when it is planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all, all, all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. And with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And so this this first parable about the sower was all about our responsibility. And this second parable is about hope and having patience that God will do what he will do. And the third parable is of this soil and the sower is about surprise. It's the shock factor. It's that this is going to be a bumper crop. So what we can take from this, as as David Garland says about this third parable, is that one cannot make a judgment about the potential of a mustard seed based on the empirical evidence when it is in the seed stage. In other words, don't judge the end based on the beginning he carries on. You could really dismiss this microscopic seed as something inconsequential, but it has a power within itself to evolve into something that one cannot ignore and eventually attracts the birds of heaven. So as we look at how things are now, we can lose heart. We can get really discouraged. On the surface, it might not look like much is changing. It might not look like the kingdom of God is growing. But what we learn from this parable is not how it grows, but what we learn is that the end is really different from how things look at the beginning. It's astonishing. It's mind-boggling. There is that there is a power self-contained within the word of God to, to bring life into the barren Places. That's what's happening at Norwood Wesleyan Church. That's 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 what's happening uh, with the McCullers over uh, over in Cambodia. that, that these uh, you know and these seeds which Sarah has planted over over in Copenhagen that she will continue to plant in Montreal. What he's doing through our lives. This is what's happening. One day we will be shocked and surprised at the size of what God in His sovereignty is really doing and he's using us. We 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 might not feel like we know what we're really doing. That's how I feel lots of the time. I have no idea how to handle this, but God in his sovereignty is using us. And once that seed is planted, God does what he he does what starts in an acorn has the power to bring down a house. Surely Slowly but surely, the kingdom of God of the servant king is growing, and it's going to be a bumper harvest. How I'd like to end this is with some, some statistics to encourage you that the kingdom of God is growing. It's often growing in secret, but the end result compared with the tininess of the beginning is astonishing. Okay, so, so, so these statistics are from Lifeway, which is a, a research-based a research institute based in the States. And what they say is this. Here are some stats. Worldwide, evangelicals and Pentecostals are growing much faster than the global population growth rate. By 2050, these two groups, evangelicals, which we would consider ourselves evangelicals, and Pentecostals, these two groups combined will, num- will number one67 1.67. 1.6, 1.67 Billion people, which is huge. Uh, the, you, know, you know, that's not even all of the Christians in the world. That's just the Pentecostals and the, and the evangelicals. Um, he also says that, or, or this research institute says that Christianity is no longer mainly in the West. In 1900s, there were twice as many Christians in Europe as in the rest of the world. But by 2017, both, um, which it was last year, both Africa and, and, and Latin America have now passed Europe in the number of Christians living there. It's, it's, it's no longer about the West. Uh, by 2050, Africa will be home to 1.25 billion Christians. This is one continent, 1.25 uh, billion Christians. In a, in, in a few decades, more than one in eight people in the world will be an African Christian. Entering into the 20th century, 95% of Christians lived in countries that were at least 80, 80% Christian. Okay, 95% of Christians lived in countries that were at least 80% Christian. That was at the turn of the century. But by the 21st century, the, the portion of Christians living in predominantly Christian nations dropped to 59%, which means that there's a lot more people who are Christian living outside of Christian nations, which is amazing. And we think of China, and we think of India, you know, we think of these countries, we think of the Middle East. And as these trends uh, continue, as, 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 as local believers grow in number, more non-Christians will be acquainted with or have friends who were Christians. In 1900, only 5.6% of the world's non-Christians knew someone who was a Christian. In 1900, only 5.6% of non-Christians knew a Christian. This number will cl- has climbed to 18.4% in 2017. And by 2050, nearly, n- n- it will be one in five people in the world will know a Christian. So just like Antonio Vicente and and uh is is any of that okay can you uh put it onto that picture so just like antonio vicente this brazilian tree planter god says this to us if you ask me who my family are i would say that all this right here every one of these that i've planted from a seed this is the kingdom of God. It has come in Jesus. One, one, one day we will see it in its fullness, in its verdancy, in its lushness. Waterfalls will flow where the streams previously dried up. All of this because of the planted word of God that's bringing about his, his reign. This verse, which, which Paul says I will leave us with, it's, it says this, I planted the seed in your heart. And Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It is not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow.